0: If you're gaining weight and you're wondering why, then the subconscious is telling you that you're making choices that are causing the body to add weight. If you've got chronic headaches, your subconscious is giving you a message. The pain teacher is coming to inform you that something that you're doing or not doing is triggering off headaches and and taking aspirin or drugs does not really help because you are now knocking out the feedback loop
1: welcome to the third episode of the evolved solo series of living 4d with paul check this week Paul reveals a number of powerful ways you can evolve mentally, improving your ability to think clearly and developing laser-like focus to realize your dreams. Paul will also be hosting an Instagram Live session on Saturday to answer your questions about how to implement all you'll learn in this episode. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for the event time and for information about how you can join us for a truly evolutionary opportunity this May 3rd.
0: Well, hello and welcome back to Living 4D with Paul Cech, Evolve 2019. I am excited to share this part three with you, Evolving Yourself Mentally. I hope you enjoyed part one, Evolving Physically, and part two, Evolving Emotionally. And today I have a lot of interesting things for you, but to be honest, I had to scrap my entire outline. I spent a lot of time developing an outline, and lo and behold, when I went to sit down and start recording, I realized I would need about 14 hours to do it. Which is pretty typical of me. That's what happens when you spend your whole life studying and you develop a base of knowledge that you just are bursting to share with people. You know, there's a real weight to knowledge. If you look at tarot number nine, the hermit, he's standing on top of the mountains with his cane and he's got a light which represents his knowledge. And he has to come down the mountain and share it with everybody because the weight of knowledge is heavy. It's like fruit. If the tree gets so much fruit on it, it can start snapping the branches on the trees, and that's no good. So I trimmed it down to some of the things that I thought would be practical and um, help you perceive the mind... And consciousness, because when we're talking about mind, we have to include consciousness or it doesn't make any sense. So to begin with, I want to go back to the little exercise, the thought exercise or experiment we did in part one, where I asked you to imagine how much of your perceptible self or bodily self is composed of earth So if you're just jumping in now, you can do the experiment. You just go inside yourself and guesstimate how much of me is made of earth or something solid that gives me shape and form. How much of me is made of water? And you start writing these numbers down. And how much of me is made of air? And then how much of me is made of fire, metabolism, warmth, which comes from the sun, because everything that we eat is what we digest and metabolize to produce the inner fire that produces warmth. And in alchemy, it's the warmth element rising in our body that allows us the capacity for thought. So... As you know, and as I said last time, dead bodies are cold, so they don't think. Not, not in that domain. They might be thinking somewhere else, but that's another podcast. So now that you have broken that down, you can probably ask yourself the question, without the earth, water, fire, and air that makes up my perceptible self, where am I? If you need to pause the podcast for a second and meditate on that, go ahead. It's a, it's a real interesting meditation. I've done it many times. And it brings you into a, a deeper awareness. And, and as I shared previously, you know, you can lose an arm and you're still there. You can lose a leg, you're still there. You can lose your arms and your legs and you're still there. You can even lose arms, legs, and organs. And as long as that heart keeps beating and you can keep breathing, you're still there. But the key point is we refer to things that we've lost, i.e. in the case of losing a leg, I lost my leg or I lost my finger. So again, that puts us into conscious awareness that we are in possession of a body. It's something that we possess. But the question is, who is the I possessing the body? And where is it? And that's where the deeper meditation is. So, what you'll find is that, possibly you'll find, is that um, you will still be but you will be everywhere and nowhere at the same time. So meditate on the fact that if you're everywhere and nowhere at the same time, but somehow you're still conscious, what are you? What are you an expression of? Well, if you look at the work by Ray Moody, MD, on NDEs and related Things You will find there's ample, ample evidence, and he's only one of many researchers. If you go to Gaia TV, G-A-I-A TV, um, there are many, many good documentaries, shows, and interviews covering these issues, and there's a pile of research and investigation into this now, and many great authors writing about it, from Dean Radin to... um Oh, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, There's a guy that's wrote a few books, but his name's eluding me right now. Gary Schwartz, Dr. Gary Schwartz. And uh, he actually conducted uh, scientific experiments and was able to develop an electronic device that could communicate with people in the afterlife, so that was pretty cool. Um, Now, as a medicine man spirit guide, some of you may have saw my interview with Angie Check, who is a shaman, a very good one, and she's done a lot of work with people in the afterlife, and so have I. And they often show up when I'm doing therapy with people that are in a lot of pain or grieving. And so my point is is that we can exist, in my opinion, without a body. I've got many, many other reasons for believing that, but that would be be another podcast again. So when we get to this reality that without our body we're essentially everywhere and nowhere, it makes us wonder, well, what are we really? And one of the things I'll share with you for sure is that you are a product of either the universal mind or the divine mind, whatever way you want to go, or pure potential or source energy and information. If you're more of a left brain materialist then you can just call it source or if you go the quantum physics route you would be um, in a superpositional state or pure potential or something along those lines but if we look at the fact that without our body if our consciousness remains we would still be in space we can look at the fact that research shows there's two types of space or two kinds. One is called non-relational, and the other one's called relational. Non-relational space means that there is no, um, there's no two objects within it to relate to. That doesn't mean there's not something there, because potential can be there. But non-relational space would relate to what is referred to in meditative circles or Buddhist circles or Zen circles as pure awareness. Uh, No mind in caps, not a personal no mind, but no mind, because to have mind you have to have polarity. There has to be something moving. You could be pure consciousness, which we'll talk about. You could be unconditional love, because by definition, unconditional love has no conditions. Then we get to relational space, and in relational space, we have a subject-object duality uh, wherever a mind is involved or there is consciousness of anything in space-time. So, if you say that's my house, you're the subject that's claiming possession of the house, which becomes the object. So there's your duality, the I and it. If you're saying, I'm going to visit my friend, then you're the subject going to visit the object that becomes your friend. So there's relational space there. Anytime we're going somewhere, there's, you can look at a map and say, I'm here and I'm going there. It's through relational space that we know how far away the sun is, the planets are, and galaxies are. Anything that we can talk about and point a telescope at or find directions to correlates to relational space. So most of our mental processes have to do with relational space. But as I will show, they depend upon non relational space, or we would not have the ability for consciousness if consciousness was bound to a location that would make it interesting <laughs> you'd have to go to the consciousness bank in order to have consciousness, which means mind you can't have uh, you can't you can have but you couldn't appreciate mind without consciousness you wouldn't even know it was happening you'd be like a computer that processes information, but is not aware of it, or like a hose that has water running through it, but doesn't know it. So, when it comes to understanding mind, um, it's, it's very interesting, because having studied a lot of Dr. Dan Siegel's work, Daniel Siegel, for those of you who don't know, is a psychiatrist who really practices, I might. he might have a degree in psychology as well, I can't remember, but he really functions more along the lines of a psychologist with a license to give drugs if he deems it necessary. And he does say that occasionally he finds it necessary, depending on what kind of condition a person has. But he's got many great books, a great website. If you're not familiar with his work, I'd highly recommend you look look him up. And he talks in his various lectures and books about, how the fact, about the fact that he spent many years going to conferences for psychologists and psychiatrists, but nobody could define what the mind is, which he found paradoxical, as I think most of us probably would. It'd be like going to an anatomy course and nobody has a definition for body. So, what he did is he grabbed, uh, got together a, a team of people. I can't remember how many he had, but, you know, a lot. I can't remember something like 40. It's been years since I studied that part of his work. And together they came up with a, a definition of mind. That they, well, they had several and they refined them and refined them till they got a, a consensus or, or agreement by everybody that that was what mind is. So I'm going to share that with you because in order for us to talk about evolution of the mind or our mind, we have to know what it is. So Dr. Siegel's definition of mind is this. Mind is an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information. I'm going to say that again, since you're listening and you don't have a book to look at. Mind is an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information. There's some important things in there. Mind is an embodied and relational process. That means that mind is somehow connected to a body. And when you look at mind in its grandiose expression, that would be a universal mind, so the universe would exemplify body. In, in an individual case, your mind is embodied in your body, and it is a relational process. We often say things, I can't believe I'm thinking thoughts like that, or why would I even think that? So there you are in relation to your mind. Now, one of the things that happens is when people meditate, is they get frustrated because they can't stop their mind. So your first tip is that you, trying to stop a mind is is like... Um, trying to stop water from being wet. Minds think. That's what they do. Uh, it's just the process of a... It wouldn't be a mind if it wasn't thinking. And as I'll show you, you, you may have be having a hard time stopping your mind because what's coming through it is not necessarily yours because the mind interfaces with the brain which acts like a um, two-way radio. It's picking up anything within the bandwidth that a human brain can pick up. And if you look at the work of Itzhak Bentov, which I'll be referring to in this program, uh, in his book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, he shows you the range of human perception, and it is very, very wide. It's from God to subatomic particles. So we're kind of a unique construct with access to... A lot. (laughs) A lot. Current research uh, shows that when you look at the number of neurons in the human brain, which this number ranges from 3 billion to various numbers, and the fact that any one of those brain cells can have between 10 and 25,000 synaptic connections to other brain cells, The math turns out such that we have more neural connections in our brain than there are known stars in the entire universe based on current cosmological estimations. And that's quite amazing if you look up at the sky at night or look at pictures from the Hubble telescope. No matter how vast the universe looks to you, you have a universe inside you. And this is one of the reasons mystics for thousands of years have always told us if you go within yourself, you will find everything that is in the universe. But it's a long walk, a long drive, a long fly on the outside. Now, there's something interesting that I want to point out here, and that's the relationship between love and mind. There's really very few good working definitions of love. There's some various fluffy ones out there. I haven't found too many really good ones. There are a few. But I wanted to really come up with a definition of love. And you'll find it's quite interesting because it is very similar in some ways to mind. And in order for us to love, we have to have a mind because we have to know how to direct our intention to love. So, first, I'm going to reread mind, then, I will read the definition of love that I created after a lot of meditation on the topic and introspection. Again, mind is an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information. Love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self and or other, or others, if you will, if you choose. So notice that energy and information is something that is related to both love and mind. And the difference is is that when we're loving, we're... Conducting the flow of energy and information through empathic, which means to feel the other and compassionate to understand the other, connection to self, or it could be you that you're feeling and understanding, which is a good place to start. It's the most important place to start. So you're directing the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection either to yourself and or to others. And the other could also be um, an it. Or a place, any any other thing, person, place, or thing, and and because we love our cars, we love our golf clubs, we you know we love our homes, we love all sorts of things. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people that really love things more than they love people because they're easier to get along with, and they don't argue with you, and you'll see that. Has a lot to do with addiction, actually. Uh, when I get around to it, I'll do a, I'll do a podcast on addiction, and uh, I'll either do it solo because I have a lot of experience working with addiction, or I will do it with somebody like Russell Brand or someone that has some substance to say, share on addiction, or if I'm lucky, Gabor Mate. So I'm pointing these things out because in order to evolve your mind. You really need to have enough love for yourself to do what it takes to be conscious of what it is that you want to change or improve because people that don't love themselves don't really care about themselves enough to do the work of honest growth and development, which is what evolution really is at a human level. Now, because mind is is inherently tied to consciousness, unless, it's, unless you consider uh, a computer a mind, and by some definitions it is, but it's not a sentient mind, it's really an information processor, although with artificial intelligence we are skirting the edges of some very, very interesting things that may or may not be good, and that's another topic I want to do a podcast on, because I've looked into that and have some... Thoughts and feelings, I think, might be a bit shocking and awakening for people when with regards to that. But here's a definition I created for consciousness, and I have others coming. Consciousness is represented as the ground state from which all frequency, which really means mind, something has to be moving to transfer information, unless it's non-local mind, but that... Goes back to our non-relational space, and that's part of the outline I cut out because it gets technical and heady. But if you read the book One Mind by Larry Dossey, he gives you lots of examples of non-local communication. If you read Real Magic by Dean Radin, which is also on audiobook, it's fantastic. You can get more information about non-local uh, mental or mind functions. So again, consciousness is represented as the ground state from which all frequency, which here is mind in caps, emerges. Individual consciousness is awareness of patterns within the spectrum of consciousness that allows meaning within the spectrum uh, of individual consciousness or awareness. So we have two kinds of consciousness. We have consciousness in caps, which comes from the To use a Buddhist term, the ground of being, or in quantum physics, you could say a zero point or a superpositional state where all possibilities exist and are essentially being tried at once, which is what they find, uh, this is what Richard Feynman found when he analyzed how a photon could choose which slit to go through in a double-slit experiment and, and various other types of situations. But he basically said that the photon tries every possible pathway at the speed of light and chooses the most efficient pathway or the one the researcher is thinking about um, because now they've found in quantum physics, well, they've known for a while, that you cannot uh, separate the consciousness, or the intention of the researcher from the outcome of the experiment. So, that's interesting. That's another podcast. (laughs) i got a lot of podcasts to share with you guys. So, really, um, if you think of many of you that believe in God, well, God, the highest form of love would be unconditional love. And the only symbol we have for something that is there, but not there numerologically, is zero. Zero is the source of all things countable or measurable. So you could say zero is the womb. It is both empty of everything and full of everything. Um, To quote the great philosopher Plotinus, who about 2375 years ago or so, was even speaking then and letting people know that what they often referred to as the vacuum or the emptiness of space was not a vacuum at all. He said it is not empty, it's bursting with itself. And he said the vacuum is the plenum, which is very cool because now you've got people like Nassim Harriman giving us the mathematics and the physics to prove that Plotinus was right, Which once again brings up another important point that science, many people are, you know, of the mindset, if it's not proven by science, then it's BS or doesn't exist and it's just silliness. But I've studied a lot of great books by great scientists, and many of them have observed that after studying Philosophy and Eastern philosophy and taoism and and uh, Hinduism and things like that that these mystics and and uh, people meditating in caves for long periods of time were able to identify what was going on on the grand scheme of things and put it into words that lo and behold turned out to be exactly what elite scientists are finding when they're investigating the world or the universe or space or consciousness or quantum physics. In fact, one of the most famous physicists, John Archibald Wheeler, whose, whose work is mind-blowing, said, at any moment now I expect to find a Rishi sitting at the end of one of my mathematical, mathematical equations, because he too had studied a lot of metaphysics and a lot of the sages and Arishi is a wise man, so he was very, very hip to the fact that what he was doing and what scientists are doing are trying to objectify that which has already been known, experienced, and explored by human beings, but not within the traditional Western scientific framework or or context. So To continue our discussion of mind, um, we want to look into consciousness a little bit more. So here's some more definitions of consciousness. Consciousness is defined as the informational capacity of the system. That is, the ability of a system to interact with the environment. That's Itzhak Bentov, 1978. In this case, the human being is the cybernetic system of concern. A cybernetic system, by the way, for those of you that aren't familiar with the term, is a system of systems. So your automobile has a cooling system, an electronic system, a fuel delivery system, an oil delivery system, an internal combustion system, uh, etc. It has a... Uh, Heating and cooling system that allows you to be comfortable in the car, and all those systems are basically um, working together so that everything functions. So that's a cybernetic system, a simple cyber a computer is a cybernetic system. Another definition: consciousness includes not only the cognitive and effective awareness normally associated with consciousness, but also the interconnectedness of the entire living system, which includes physiochemical maintenance and growth processes, as well as the immune system. This pattern of information, which is the consciousness of the system, is part of a larger undivided pattern of an expanding universe. Now that's a good deep one, and that, by the way, comes from a woman who was a holistic nurse whose book, Health as Expanding Consciousness, second edition, Margaret Newman, is really quite an amazing read. And it's very interesting that she was proposing very beautiful holistic systems, very similar to what I teach through the Czech Institute 30 or 40 years ago, but couldn't get much support because she was too evolved, I think, for the level of consciousness in the medical system. But at least she was aware and did educate uh, as many nurses as she could as to how consciousness really worked. Now, this next definition comes from a famous Jungian analyst and, and medical doctor who was a psychiatrist, And it is very important to our discussion of evolving our mind for reasons that will be obvious in a second. Edward Edinger, in the book The Creation of Consciousness, page 32, states, Consciousness is a psychic substance which is produced by the experience of opposites suffered not blindly, but in living awareness. So, that's a very good definition of consciousness. That's one of the very best ones I've ever found, and I've looked. Let's break it down. Consciousness is a psychic substance. It means it's palpably real. You know the difference between when you're sound asleep, you're you're unconscious, and when you wake up, And all of a sudden you pick your head up and you go, oh, I'm awake. What time is it? So uh, if you're a a martial artist, uh, like someone who does jujitsu, and you've ever been choked out, well, then you go unconscious because no blood gets to your brain and you're out sleeping on the mat. And all of a sudden you wake up and go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that doesn't look good. I'm on the floor. Somebody choke me out so you know when we're aware of the smell of a rose or the beauty of our lover or how much money isn't in our bank account when we need it to be there we're aware that we're conscious and consciousness is produced by the experience of opposites So here's relational space. You have to have some kind of juxtaposition. You cannot know up without down, north without south, east without west, in without out, good without bad, hot without cold, yes without no, he without she. So consciousness depends upon these opposites, and these things are relational. The Tai Chi symbol is basically a symbol that talks about relational space and complementary opposites, things that are not really opposite but are necessary for a process to occur. And consciousness requires a process in which opposites or seeming opposites, in, in, in in actual fact complementary opposites, interact with each other. And then, Edinger says, suffered not blindly, but in living awareness. It means if you're not paying attention, or you're drunk, how many times have you gotten drunk and couldn't remember what happened the night before? (laughs) I'm not a a drinker anymore, but when I was a kid, I got so drunk at a rock concert once, I ended up getting put in jail because I was up on stage playing their instruments, when they're on break and uh, I got arrested for being drunk and disorderly and thrown in the drunk tank. And I woke up laying on the floor surrounded by people that were, had vomited all over themselves and all over the place. And it stunk like hell. And I first thought was how in the world did I get here and what happened? And it was only by talking to my friends (laughs) that I got the report of all the most interesting things I was doing because I was unconscious, so I was, I was suffering blindly and not in living awareness. So to evolve our mind, we step one is we must become conscious of the opposites. And Great Spirit put a beautiful little system in place called pain, to let you know when you are not living in awareness and not paying attention to what you are choosing. So your first big tip for evolving consciousness or involving your mind, these are kind of synonymous in this discussion, is that whenever pain's happening in your body, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, it means you're being given indicators that the choices you're making are not bringing you into harmony, are not moving you in the right direction for your physical well-being, emotional well-being, mental well-being, or for your spiritual path, um, your soul path. And we'll talk more about that in Evolving Yourself Spiritually the next episode. So, consciousness is a psychic substance which is produced by the experience of opposites suffered not blindly, but in living awareness. And if you have consciousness and you're aware of opposites, you have a mind. And if you evolve consciousness, you've evolved your mind. And if you evolve your mind, you have increase the capacity for consciousness. So now, let's talk about what the mind is and where is it. So there are many layers or levels of mind. The superconscious can be looked at from a number of perspectives. If you look at the superconscious in quantum physics, then, supercon- well, first of all, superconscious means above consciousness. So, in that regard, as it relates to a human being, it's things that are available in mind, but are outside the range of your perception, If we look at it from the absolute perspective, or God, capital G, capital O, capital D consciousness, then it's all possibilities that exist in potential. There we have zero, Um, and the absolute, by definition, means all that can be, or is, or even all potentials. And in most religious systems, they use the prefix Omni, at least I know in Christianity, they do in others, they have similar prefixes, but they lead to an absolute um, consciousness or uh, the absolute superconscious of that which is above or beyond anything that we can calculate or be perceptive of as an individual, because at that level there is no subject-object Duality. There's no I, thou. So, should you enter into the uh, state of God consciousness or the super consciousness from this perspective, the paradox is you wouldn't know it. You would become pure, unadulterated awareness, and uh, that that is an experience that I have had. It is quite profound. <laughs> Fortunately, I made it back to have this conversation with you. And there's many others that have had that experience, but this is why, for example, when people used to ask Buddha to describe God, he would just go silent, because there is nothing you can say. You can only describe attributes of God, such as the universe, but you can't really describe God in God's totality due to the fact that there is no subject-object uh, duality. So there is no way you can describe something. To describe a flower, you have a relationship with it. You're describing something that you're in a relationship to. Now, we there, there's if I was to do a more detailed description, there would be what is called higher mind, which includes archetypes, which are original patterns or forms. And a lot of us are familiar with the archetype of the mother, which means the concept of the mother that includes all mothers, whether it be insects, animals, any mothering whatsoever, the concept of the father, um, the archetype of space, the archetype of time, the archetype of movement, um, the archetype of the warrior, the victim, the saboteur, the prostitute, the child um, and you know there's a, if you look at Carolyn Mice's work she's done a lot she even has cards archetype cards so you can look through them and I use those with my patients and clients when I'm doing uh, mental emotional work and we also get into that discussion in my holistic lifestyle coach training because archetypes are quite essential to understand, to help a person understand why they have the urge to do things. For example, it is the archetype of the mother that gives a woman who has not had a child an insatiable urge to have a child, and it pulls on her very strongly, and any woman who's experienced that would know what I'm talking about. Then we have the personal conscious, in the model that I'm sharing here, And that's what you're consciously aware of. That's the total information carrying capacity of the system. But at the personal conscious level, it's that which you can be aware of. Uh, There's more to your consciousness than that because we're coming up on several other layers here uh, in a second. With regard to the personal unconscious, it's important to remember one of the key dictums of alchemy, which is as above so below, which means whatever's going through your mind is in the mind of something bigger, be it the world or the universe or in the potential of absolute God or absolute consciousness in all caps. Many people trying to figure out what consciousness is, in fact, it's very rare to hear somebody make this distinction, but part of the challenge with consciousness is trying to figure out what consciousness is, but if you really understand that consciousness at the absolute level can't be weighed or measured, it can't be identified, which pr- produces a conundrum, but the conscious that consciousness that we have is consciousness of I'm conscious that I'm talking to you you're probably conscious of my voice I'm conscious that I have a body and fortunately five fingers on each hand and two feet two arms two legs two eyes a nose a mouth two ears those are all things that you can be conscious of I know that I drive a blue Audi A3 Uh, I know that I have um, two children and one on the way um, those are things that we're conscious of. So when researchers are trying to figure out what consciousness is, it's quite a bit of a trick because really they're trying to figure out what consciousness is, but there's a dis- difference between consciousness in caps, all caps, and conscious of. Now there are people that have done some deep work in this area that have come to this realization and uh, I was excited to find that in my searches because I meditate deeply I do a lot of contemplative meditation which is another way to evolve yourself and that's to take something like consciousness and meditate on what it is until you get something that rings true for you and then if you're motivated you go out and you do research to find out if anybody else has figured out the same thing so you see if there's any congruence in the thought process with other people and when you find that it's aha i'm not alone in this that doesn't mean you're right it just means that you're um moving in the same direction as other people but it does give you a sense of reassurance that you're moving in the right direction and inspires you to keep going. And then if you find evidence that inspires you to modify what your current working hypothesis or theory is, then you you can find that you find more information and you may have to change that hypothesis or theory based on your new knowledge. If you don't keep an open mind then you fall into the trap of having a rigid belief and you know that's uh that's dangerous um it leads to trouble um and it, and it uh rigid beliefs destroy relationships and they destroy bodies and they destroy lives and and uh they can destroy a planet too <laughs> So we've talked about the superconscious, uh, the superconscious meaning above consciousness. We've talked about absolute or God consciousness. We've talked about the personal consciousness as what you're aware of. We've talked about consciousness as a total information carrying capacity of a system. But what else is there beside what you're aware of? Well, then we get to the subconscious Now, I distinguish subconscious from unconscious in that subconscious relates to the wisdom of your cells and the information that is being um, communicated through your DNA. To me, the DNA is an antenna system, and it's sort of like an elaborate antenna that connects into frequencies in our environment and communicates that information to ourselves so we can effectively adapt to the environment. Uh, there's a book, I believe, by Candace Pert called Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind. For those of you that are interest, interested, it's a very good book. But at our subconscious level, it's sub means below consciousness. Our, that's where we have the intelligence that keeps us breathing. That's the place where we have um, the intelligence that digests, metabolizes, assimilates, and eliminates our food, runs our glands and organs. And uh, Nassim Harriman says that there's about a hundred billion, billion biochemical reactions a second in the human body. And he makes the point that we really ought to be calling the subconscious the conscious, or the unconscious the conscious... Either way you go because it's actually doing what it's supposed to do all the time and it doesn't generally make any mistakes. Your heart keeps beating. It's only what the conscious mind does to us that disrupts the subconscious's ability uh, to – or the unconscious, which is another level of this – to do what it's supposed to be doing, which is create life and to create Healing and harmony and balance, Uh, functional balance, though not rigid balance. So, the next tip for evolving your mind is to pay attention to what your unconscious or subconscious processes are telling you. Again, subconscious relating to the wisdom of your body. If you're gaining weight, and you're wondering why, then the subconscious is telling you that you're making choices that are causing the body to add weight. If you've got chronic headaches, your subconscious is giving you a message. The pain teacher is coming to inform you that something that you're doing or not doing is triggering off headaches and and taking aspirin or drugs does not really help because you are now knocking out the feedback loop. That doesn't mean there's no place for drugs or things like that. It just means you have to be very careful about when you're using things that disable our communication with the subconscious when it could be the very indicator or feedback system that guides you to making choices that will resolve the challenge. Whereas if you use drugs or other forms of quick fix therapies or a lot of the biohacking gadgets and things like that to try to trick the system, then the actual process that's going on that led to the headaches or the neck pain or the chest pain or whatever it is, is continuing to go on and typically that means we haven't identified what choices we're making that are leading to the problem and therefore naturally, we will probably keep doing these things, and the result will be that eventually the drug starts not working, and you have to go to a stronger one, then you get to the point where nothing's helping, and the next thing you know, you get diagnosed with cancer, or you have some large tumor in your body, or you have an autoimmune disorder, or any number of things, and that is unfortunately a big problem, because it halts a evolution of our mind, because our mind is what ultimately we use to perceive what's going on inside of us and around us and make choices. Uh, really, you, you could say the mind is a choice-making system. First, it's an awareness system, then it's a choice system, and to the degree that you keep doing the same things over when they're not working, by the way, you have no free will. To evolve means to have more choices available and to choose the things that allow you more freedom and more capacity to create for yourself or in relationships or in your life. So to evolve means really to be more creative and to have more freedom, which requires conscious choice, which requires a mind that is aware now, if we go below the subconscious in this model, we get to the unconscious, which has different layers, uh, and you'll see that there's sort of an onion concept forming here. We have, you know, the absolute conscious, then we have superconscious states, such as superconductive super fluids in physics, quantum physics and physics. Then we have the personal conscious, then we have the subconscious, which I've shared relates to your bodily functions and its connect their their connection to everything else remember i talked previously about research on acupuncture meridians showing that we were directly connected to the sun instantaneously so there's what something that's instantaneous is beyond cause and effect it's it's non-local so you know, these are very deep concepts that require some study to truly understand, which is why I gave you some references earlier. But the unconscious uh, will start at the deepest layer. Um, Houston Smith describes the deepest layer of the unconscious as the sacred unconscious, which relates to what Jung refers to as the imago Dei, which means image of deity. So... That can be looked at it in two different ways, both of which valid are, are valid and are important to understanding how to evolve your mind. The unconscious process, just like our unconscious regulates our physiology and keeps us alive, the unconscious of the universe is what regulates everything in the universe. Now, if you want to call that conscious, you can, but that just becomes an issue of distinction and you have to somehow demonstrate that there's awareness and choices being made like you choose to listen to this podcast or not or um, eat something versus something else or not so the first aspect or way of looking at the sacred unconscious is that it is the process by which nature regulates itself and you are nature so just like your nature, your body, and your 100 trillion cells are regulated largely at an unconscious level. Well, interestingly enough, they say there's about a 100 trillion stars in the known universe, which has a nice little correlation to your body. And interestingly, there's about a 100 trillion atoms in each cell in your body. So, This magical number keeps popping up. So the sacred unconscious then would be that which is manifesting the universe, which would be an expression of the absolute, which would be super conscious in this regard. And many great thinkers from Itzhak Bentov to Yogananda to Sri Nursagadatta to uh, Sri Aurobindo to Ken Wilber to, you know, uh, a long, long, long list of them, have all informed us that the uh, universe is essentially um, manifesting us so that we can look at it. There's an old saying, why do the stars shine at night? So you will look at them. Beauty is really there so that we will engage everything and create more beauty and feel inspired. So at the sacred unconscious level, it is the processes that are manifesting everything, including conscious sentient beings, which become feedback loops. So we are co-creators. When we become conscious enough to use our free will, we actually... Co create. And we can't say that our creations are independent of the universe because, well, I could give you a long list of reasons, but if you look into sacred geometry and the geometry of the body, and you look into things like I talked about in the first part of the series, Evolution of the Physical Body, that your breathing is numerically correlated to the amount of time it takes. Our sun and our galaxy to make one lap of the Milky Way, which Steiner talked about, Joseph Campbell talks about this in some of his lectures, and mystics and sages have been telling us this information for a very, very long time, and they didn't get it by looking through microscopes and telescopes, they got it by going deep, deep within themselves, because as I said, everything in the universe is within you. And, and that's a working metaphor, but it's uh, it's also an allegory, a teaching story, but it's something that's oddly true, whether it's factually true. In other words, you may not have the planet Mercury in, inside of you physically, but you do have the energy and information conducted by Mercury as part of a living system. And remember, when Mercury is in retrograde, all sorts of things happen, so we know it does have effects on everything around us including us this is why uh, astrologers tell you when mercury is in retrograde it's never a good time to buy a house or close a business deal because it's affecting you psychically so just to kind of recap that the sacred unconscious is really the same level of processing in the universe that we have in our body and where we have 100 trillion cells to manage, it has 100 trillion stars to manage based on current cosmology and all the planets and all the moons and all the asteroids. And it has its own process, which is inclusive of you and I. Now, from a psychological perspective, which relates to mind as an individual, the Imago Day relates to our childhood programming regarding our beliefs about what God is or isn't. And Carl Jung, who really wrote quite a lot about the Imago day, says it's not clear whether your beliefs about God create your God image or whether God creates you. So um, there's a mirroring effect there. And if you think of Buddha's concept of codependent origination, it's kind of like two mirrors facing each other trying to figure out who is who so uh codependent origination says in in a in a sort of an analogy if you stand in the mirror you can only see yourself in the mirror because you chose to stand in front of the mirror so the mirror can't project an image of you unless you are in a codependent relationship with the mirror. You have to stand in front of the mirror, and it reflects you back. If you're in an argument with somebody, here's a little (laughs) mental evolution for you, and you keep arguing, then you are entangled in a codependent relationship with that person. So just like it takes two sticks to start a fire, you can't rub one stick against the air and get a fire. When you're in an argument with someone or a fight with somebody you're choosing to keep rubbing your stick against their stick. So in Czech Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 2, I, I talk about some of the basics of nonviolent communication and I and the instructors and I, and I talk about the fact that sometimes we need to use Option 3 of the Czech Six-Step six model that I am, am working from here and that is to choose to take a time out, which means you pull your stick off the other stick. So knowing when you're losing connection with somebody and you're no longer being productive, and when you're starting to feel emotions that are emergent of fear, which are emotions of separation, and honoring that if you cannot stay connected at the heart, then it means it's now time to... Disconnect because now you're basically having a breakdown in the relationship, and the same is true of your relationship and your own conversations with yourself. That's very, very important. So, to summarize, to evolve yourself mentally, it's critical to understand when you habitually tend to rub sticks against sticks. Until you light a fire that starts to burn you and the other person, and that leads to what's called burning a bridge, which usually, uh, if that happens too much, that's devolution of the mind. You're going out of harmony into, into more dissonance, and as you go into dissonance, your world narrows, your possibilities narrow, your freedom narrows. If you are someone that has a habit of creating dissonance or arguing or battling or challenging everywhere you go, you can find yourself losing a lot of jobs and having a lot of people not want to be in relationship with you. And not everybody's up for um, wrestling matches with people that don't know when enough is enough. (laughs) So I'll let you close your eyes and meditate on whether or not you are one of those people or when you are one of those people. And hopefully I can inspire you to pull your stick off the fire so that there is no more friction being generated and choose to love at safe distance. Choose to go to the other room or outside for a walk but wisely choose to disengage and bow out before it's hard for you to stay connected to that person at the heart. Because if you hold on to negative judgments and pain toward yourself or other people, again, you're drinking poison and expecting someone else to die, But Arnold Patton beautifully says, and I'm paraphrasing here, in his Universal Principles, if you want to read them, just go to arnoldpatton.com. They used to be there. Someone told me they, they weren't there, but they might be there. And look at the Universal Principles, but basically in one of the Universal Principles, he makes the point that if you're acting in ways that do not, create love and harmony, then the universe will not support you, and you must provide the energy to do that yourself. And so, lo and behold, if you find yourself being too combative and forcing your opinion on others and being unwilling to honestly be open-minded and explore their opinion, well, it won't be long before you're all alone, and then you can either you can easily fall into the victim archetype and it's everybody else's fault. But the key point I'm getting to is the universe will not provide the energy because to maintain that disposition because it's an illusion. The universe is all one. It is totally connected, and there's just mountains of science on that. Now, this is not even a, a, a metaphysical discussion anymore. It's a scientific fact. So, again, read One Mind by Larry Dossey. That's a great place to start. It's also an audiobook. It's fantastic. Um, so, the point I'm making is if we keep using our mind in ineffective ways, we don't evolve, we devolve, and we get tired. And first you get tired, then you get sick, then you get a disease, and then you die. And what happens then? Well, that's another podcast. <laughs> So we have the sacred unconscious. Then we have the collective unconscious. The collective unconscious holds the entire history of man and all sentient beings on this planet. And so often when people are doing meditations or using psychedelics, their default mode network is disabled and the ego can no longer filter the massive amount of information that we're always tapped into but our ego system filters it out so that we aren't just frazzled by all this information and we're, we're in the collective unconscious. So once you're in meditative states or if you get too exhausted, for example, women that are um, in the first year of a newborn child can get very, very exhausted and their ego filtration mechanism can break down And when the full moon comes out, they can have trouble, for example, because, and this is why any cop can tell you, full moons are busy nights, because the energy of the sun is being mirrored back to us at night when we're supposed to be going into a rest phase and all that light triggers cortisol. And if we're already exhausted, it drives us deeper into ourselves and then we Uh, can get to the point where the unconscious material that is normally filtered out starts rising up in us, and we act in strange ways because we aren't conscious enough to discern what is something actionable coming through us and what isn't, and thus we have the term lunacy or lunatic. The next level is the social unconscious and that's where we have our social cultural programming so it's if you go to Europe it doesn't take anybody very long just watching you looking at the clothes you're wearing uh and the way you talk and what you want on a menu and if you're from you know the united states you'll usually say well i want this but i don't want that and i don't want that and i want it cooked this way and they already know You're an American because you're expressing social-cultural programming. So our mind, as we perceive the word mind, our personal mind cannot be separated from the concept of the social unconscious because it is social-cultural programming. And it's always at play. It's how we see and perceive things. Next, we go to our personal unconscious. And here... We, again, have an interesting little fact. Our genes are conducting information. Remember, I talked about them as antennas. They're conducting information into us that research now shows, and even the Bible says, goes three generations deep. So we really don't have a personal mind. We have the universe. We have the collective of humanity. We have our societies and our culture and our family talking inside of us all the time and depending on how healthy one's ego structure or how they're using their mind, they may or may not have access to all this information. But some of you have been to uh, uh, psychedelic healing ceremonies or or shamanic ceremonies with ayahuasca or mushrooms or things like that and there's people there that in my opinion shouldn't be there unfortunately a lot of this is being done for money so it's kind of like whoever shows up and puts 300 bucks or whatever it is in the plate then here's your ayahuasca or here's your mushrooms or here's your lsd or whatever the flavor of the moment is and the next thing you know you've got people acting out in ways that look and sound and really are exemplifications of lunacy because they're un- it's like watching 500 televisions at once, but they're all moving through you. So people start rolling around and freaking out and doing dangerous things because they cannot manage what we would call their mind. But what I'm pointing out is that if we aren't, well-integrated, then these lower levels of the unconscious come bubbling through and we act them out unconsciously, but other people around us recognize something's off about that person, and if it's off enough, they'll call the cops and you'll find yourself locked up, uh, probably in a psych ward, and I've actually had a number of people in my social spheres over the years, be they students that, you know, for example, I've had a few students through practicing yoga and other spiritual practices have an unexpected Kundalini rising, which is kind of like, um, you know, going into a deep medicine journey that just doesn't stop, and their family thought they had lost it and other people around them, and they ended up having to be put into a psych ward. But it wasn't until they got a hold of me or somebody like me that they realized that they were actually having a spiritual process unfold. And typically in cultures where these types of spiritual practices are practiced, there's skilled masters that know how to handle somebody like that. Um, because they've been through it themselves, and they've seen it happen many times. And so, and I can tell you, I've had my own experiences where I got so deep in um, that, you know, it's very hard for me to tell what was real and what wasn't real. It was as though I was in many worlds at one time, and uh, that's happened to me not only using doing during shamanic ceremonies, but it's happened to me with shamanic practices, with meditation, even with Tai Chi, I've gotten so deep that um, it took me a while to figure out who and where I was coming out of it. These are all very, very real things. Now, this can happen to you from other things too. There's many cases. If you look at the book Vibrational Medicine by Richard Gerber, he documents cases and also makes it clear, and I've met people that have had this happen, flashing lights like strobe lights on dance floors or flashing markers on the road when people get really tired and they're driving their car late at night. They can get hypnotized by the road markers. In fact, uh, when I was a kid in Canada and they first put the road markers on, they found people were getting hypnotized and basically sort of falling asleep, going into a hypnotic state while they're driving their car and crashing cars, and they realized they'd put the road markers, the little reflectors, too close together, so they had to actually come, and this is when I was a kid, so I'm 57, so that was probably, you know, 45, so so 40-something years ago, they had to literally come scrape every one of the markers off and separate those things for the entire length of the island highway, which is like 175 miles because of that little boo-boo. So when we look at our personal unconscious, we not only have our own unconscious, which is the aspects of our consciousness that are too vast to be processed by the ego consciousness, which is really, based on research, only about 5% of the total consciousness within an individual, um, we have the unconscious aspects of ourselves that relate to, uh, well, everything that's happened but we can't comprehend or we can't make sense of. In our personal unconscious, there's all aspects of consciousness but for example you can have precognition and it may rise into your consciousness but many people don't know that they have precognitive abilities so when you look at research by uh Dean Radin and other people doing that kind of research um what they do for example is they flash they have people hooked up to very elaborate bio biofeedback devices and they have randomly generated images some of which are beautiful or some of which are people hugging or parents walking with their children and some of which are gory like nasty car accidents with people hanging out of the window all ripped to shreds or someone who's just been shot in the head or things like that but what they find out is that their body already knows what type of image is coming, usually about a half a second or so before they actually physically see the image. And this is very consistent and very, very statistically significant. I mean, very statistically significant. So the point is, you see, our unconscious already knows way more than our conscious mind lets bubble up and And depending on how well-developed you are, that determines, and when I say well-developed, how spiritually evolved you are and how much you can handle, determines the size of the pipeline as to what bubbles up. Uh, When you think about it, there's a lot going on that you probably consciously would not want to know about. Um... I can tell you of an experience to make the point. I was one time in Toronto and I was uh, between lectures. Actually, I think I just was there, the, and it was like the day before CanFit Pro was going to start. And we just unpacked our bags and got the hotel room sort of set up. And Penny uh, was doing her thing, and I. Decided I would go to the little park, which is just a small little park uh, right down the street from the Intercontinental Hotel, kind of between two buildings. And I had the urge to do a stand like a tree meditation, which is a Native American Indian meditation where you just lean up against a tree and the tree acts like an antenna so it can tap you into um, frequencies and uh, potentials that you aren't normally picking up through your body and that's a technique that was used by Native American Indian hunters for example to find game or to communicate with people at a distance before there was cell phones and so I leaned up against I did some Tai Chi first and I think that's what set me up and I was also using some sound healing techniques I was doing breathing and movement with Tibetan bowls and tuning forks and then I did my meditation and about 10 or 15 minutes in all of a sudden my um conscious ability to filter began to open up so much that i was experiencing myself in what exp- what what felt to be every single person in the entire city of toronto i was i found myself in the back of a of ambulances with people rushing to the hospital i found myself in the hospital dying and having surgery. I found myself in bed. Now when I say I found myself, I was present with people in bed making love and kids walking home from school and construction workers building buildings. And it it was as though somehow I had entered the stream of the collective consciousness, yet uh, one of my gifts is also a challenge. I'm clairvoyant. So I was actually seeing all this. And it was like I was watching uh thousand TV screens at once. And when I realized what was happening, I was so fascinated by it. I tried to hang in there as long as I could. But the experience of it was like I'd, I was being torn to pieces, limb to limb. And I couldn't, you know, it was like, how do you How do you handle feeling someone having an orgasm while you're feeling someone else get their chest cut open by a surgeon and somebody else crashing their car and someone else giving their marriage vows while they're about to take their first kiss and someone else um, saying goodbye, I can't be in this relationship with you anymore. And a child getting an award while a child's getting beat up by his father all at the same time. So this is really the kind of thing that happens on psychedelics or kundalini rising through natural practices. And this is what puts people in a nuthouse because it is really the epitome of a schizophrenic experience. So, you know, this is why evolution of the mind needs to go in progressive steps. And there's so much that we can do as individuals to enhance our mental-emotional relationship with ourselves, be it taking care of our body and getting clear on what our dream is and focusing our awareness and our intention. Now, the other level of the personal unconscious is that where there's two aspects, it holds our positive potentials, and Joseph Campbell speaks about this, and I really love Joseph Campbell's work. You know, there's so much talk today about the shadow and and it's so dark and negative but we got to remember that the 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 personal unconscious also holds all of our positive potentials like seeds of what we can become if we just bring our intention and our awareness to those potentials and remember that the plant that you water grows so the shadow then is the parts of ourselves that we're in denial of or we don't want to look at because somehow our ego perceives it as diminishing, or we are afraid that if we are, uh, if we acknowledge that, that we will be an outcast. So maybe you really are naturally someone who has the desire for same-sex relationships, but if that came out of the bag, you might fear being disowned by your family or losing your job. So what happens is that material gets repressed. The problem is, is it doesn't just sit there like, uh, a jar of uh, oat oats waiting to be made into oatmeal. One day, it actually s- acting on you. These potentials are acting on you, and acting through you. But they, because they're unconscious, they produce behaviors that other people notice, but you typically are blind to. Just like I was unaware that I was on stage playing instruments, guitars and drums, and I was unaware of how I got to the drunk tank but clearly that's what happened and cuz there was many eyewitnesses that i trusted when they told me about it and the evidence matched the story <laughs> so part of your evolutionary growth is to realize that we all have shadow elements and that to evolve mentally we have to be brave enough to look for patterns of consensus in feedback Napoleon Hill has a questionnaire that he, that he suggests that you send to people that you trust to give honest feedback specifically so you can identify the aspects of your personality that are not serving you or others in your relationships. So one of the things that you can do to evolve yourself mentally is just take a piece of paper and write down all the people you've had intimate relationships with in your life and say, okay, uh, when I broke up with Margaret or Jane or Susie, the reason was dot, dot, dot. You don't pay attention. You're self-centered. You don't listen. You don't connect to me. Uh, you don't follow through with promises or agreements, etc. Then you go to the next one and say, yes, what, what does she break with? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? She said several of the same things. Then you say, okay, if I've ever been fired from a job, what was the reason that was given to me for being let go? And lo and behold, you start to see patterns emerge. So then what's happening is the unconscious shadow elements are no longer conscious because you're bringing something that's purely subjective into objective awareness where now you can work with it. You cannot grow yourself mentally by working with things that are unconscious because by definition they're unconscious so you can't work with it. Only the people around you can. And usually it's by getting the hell away or saying that guy cannot be promoted to manager because he will ruin the business. And so you wonder why you've been the stock boy for 14 years even though you've got a PhD. Uh, so, you know, your tip there is pay close attention to patterns occurring in relationship. And remember, feedback is the bre- breakfast of champions. But to get it, you, you need to be open enough, honest enough, and ask people for it in ways that doesn't make them feel insecure about giving it. So you send out a questionnaire, and you can ask them to return it, but not put their name on it. Or you could set up a website web page where people can fill out the questionnaire but don't have to leave any information and you only send that link to the people you want feedback from because you trust them there's lots of ways you can do it if you really want to do it the best thing to do is start with the people that have been honest with you in your life that you can trust to be honest with you and you know like i'll give you an example <laughs> when i talk to my wife and say, what are some things that you think I can do that I can improve? And I'm talking about Penny here. Um, She will remind me quite often that I swear too much when I'm lecturing. And, And even though I feel it's just my natural way of communicating and adding color or emphasis, she reminds me that if you swear like that, you lose people and you could get your same message across without swearing. So if you really want to help people, she says maximize the number of people you can help by crafting a message that has the broadest uh, reach. Now, over the years, I have worked on that. Sometimes I kind of let go my filtration mechanism, I admit, Um, and sometimes it depends on who I'm with but I have worked on evolving myself that way. And believe it or not, there are certain people in my life that swear so much more than me, it actually shocks me. And I'm like, oh my God, every second word starts with F. And after a while, it becomes grating because it it takes the power of the word away. I mean, I've only heard my wife Penny uh, say the F word three maybe four times in the 22 years we've been married so if penny says that you can rest assured something's going down either she's downright pissed off or something's someone's really dropped the ball so that's really what she's trying to teach me right and she is my buddha my mentor in many many ways And everybody's our Buddha and our mentor. They're either reminding us of the behaviors that are not conducive to mental, emotional, and spiritual growth, or the ones that are. So your next tip is to say, who are the people in the world that are here or have been here that lived in ways that if emulated by me would add more love and higher consciousness and more freedom to the world? So right in my office right now my mother's an amazing sculptor so I have a I've a lot of these people that I love in sculpture I have I'm looking right at Gandhi and if I turn my head to the right I'm looking at Albert Einstein and if I turn my head to the right again I'm looking at Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce Indians and and right next to him is the Dalai Lama and to the right of the Dalai Lama is the mother is Mother Teresa so I surround myself by the symbolic images of the people who inspire me to remember the qualities that they carry. Gandhi is the epitome of nonviolence. Einstein is the epitome of creative pursuit in science. Chief Joseph is the epitome of sacrifice for your people. The Dalai Lama is the epitome of sacrifice for your people. Love, empathy, compassion, and leadership. So to grow ourselves mentally, it's important to choose people who carry the energy and the consciousness that we want to embody, and if you realize that we are all one, and that what we perceive of as our mind is really only a wave on the ocean of the mind, then by going into meditation and holding the intention to connect to the soul of Mahatma Gandhi or the soul of the Dalai Lama or the soul of Jesus Christ or the soul of Buddha or Lao Tzu or whoever it is that inspires you to greater heights and depths and width and potential and freedom. Uh, you know, maybe Deepak Chopra, I mean, for, for a, a guy in our time, he's really given the world quite a lot, in my opinion. You can literally bring those beings into your consciousness because, remember, somebody that's passed away, Houston Smith is no longer with us, but I'm right on my desk is a beautiful picture of him. And one of his parting comments when asked in, I think it was the last interview he gave, someone said, you know, knowing that you're getting close to the end of your life now, is there a a message you would share with the rest of the world? And he said, he closed his eyes and paused and he said, yes, just be a little kinder be kinder to yourself, be kinder to other people, be kinder to all sentient beings. And so when you close your eyes and hold your intention on Houston Smith and open your heart to Houston Smith, because it is one mind and it is one consciousness – Wherever Houston Smith is now, he's still connected to you the instant you think of him and put your intention on him, and so are all the great ones. And that's one of the things that inspires me each day. Right on my prayer altar, I have pictures of Jesus, Krishna, Yogananda, Sri Yukteswar, Lahiri Mahashai, Babaji, and... Those people are there to remind me to give thanks to all the saints and sages that have ever lived, all the wise ones, and know that I and you and all of us have access to those conscious beings because they're still here. If God can't die, then the consciousness of God can't die. And if you don't like the word God, then if potential can't die— and potential is the basis of that which is, then everything is here to help. And ultimately, the universe is here to experience its potential, and it's doing it through us. At least we know that for sure, because we're here. So now as we move forward, I would like to share the four main causes of addiction with you based on the research of Anjali's Aryan. Another person that is an amazing Buddha that's not with us anymore, but she was an, archae- uh, an anthropologist and a shaman of very high accord and wrote amazing stuff. Um, her book, the Tarot Handbook, is one of my favorites. And if you want to learn more about her, look up just search New Dimensions Radio on the internet by Peter Toms, and then once you're there on that site, just type in Anjali's Aryan and you will find, I think, three interviews. And while you're there, type in David Bohm to get your mind blown again. I have pictures of David Bohm, Itzhak Bentov, and Arthur M. Young, the inventor of the Bell helicopter who started a Institute for the Study of Consciousness, and wrote The Reflexive Universe and others. And these are the kind of people that in my prayers I blow smoke to and connect my heart to and invite them into my being and into my life to help me be the best person that I can be so that I can know that when I leave the world, I've done the best to leave it a little better than when I found it. And I think if any of us leaves Knowing that we did that, then no matter what's next, we can feel safe, we can feel good, we can feel whole. So, first, let's define what I define uh, how I define an addiction. My own definition of an addiction. And there probably are many definitions out there. I'm sure you could look it up in the dictionary. But I find that when there's too many opinions that I need to summarize it into something practical. So my practical definition of an addiction is any repeated behavior that does not serve you. An addiction is any repeated behavior that does not serve you. So Anjali's Aryan studied addiction for many years and traveled around the world and went to at least 60 or more different cultures and spoke to the wise elders and people that had a lot of experience at working with addiction, and when she summarized her research, she found there were four root causes of addiction that ultimately are the source of most addiction out there, and I will share them with you and they're they are not categorized into a hierarchical order in other words it could be any one or a combination of these and most of the people that i work with that have addiction problems which is quite a lot of them from athletes to uh workaholics to alcoholics to crack users to cocaine users to um people that are addicted to anger uh and in pretty much anything there's many many types of addiction out there all of which can be very disabling gambling for example so the first cause of addiction she identified or uh, the first that i'm sharing with you is intensity so if you were raised in a family where there was a lot of intensity particularly between the parents then as a child you were exposed to a high level of intensity and having worked with many X game competitors and combat athletes with challenges, I find that there's a very high percentage of them that were raised in parental environments where the parents were fighting a lot and or there was a lot of fighting amongst the siblings that was not effectively regulated by the parents. Or the, one of the most common causes of fighting between the parents is financial stress and or infidelity and things like that but what that does is it sets your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis at a state where you produce a lot of cortisol and people that have that kind of challenge can't ever relax and if the environment gets too calm they usually have to do something to bring the intensity up because they're actually uncomfortable with stillness or quiet or people just enjoying themselves paradoxically so uh, look for that before you get into a committed relationship because well let's just say uh, when the marketing campaign is over and the sexual high wears off the intensity that was so exciting in bed may not be so exciting uh, when you're eating breakfast or when you're trying to get ready to go to work or uh, when you're preparing to uh, for an examination or anything important like that. So if you find that is a nature of your own, you're probably prone to anxiety. And if that goes on long enough, you will fall into depression as a... Uh, side effect of your body burning out, your adrenals burning out, your systems burning out. Um, intensity is something that requires us to become conscious of our mental internal workings so that we can evolve. You cannot evolve something that you're not aware of. So... You can look at how you converse with people and how argumentative you are, how uh, focused you are on having to get your own way all the time, whether you're right or wrong, or how willing you are to resort to violence instead of, um, you know, negotiating in ways that are re- re- uh, respective of both sides. And when you have a country that somehow manages to vote in a president like Donald Trump, you just apply what I've just said to how he manages things, and you will see that the earth and, the, and humanity mirrors us back to us as above, so below. What's in your mind becomes part of your reality. And remember, we have a collective unconscious. So, uh, you know, what we're often seeing with uh, things like a vote for a president is where the level of intensity is at in the culture and like attracts like so intense people ass kickers need an ass kicker to lead them because they need someone to keep things loud and noisy they can't handle quiet the problem is is when the loud and noisy guy has nuclear weapons at his fingertips it becomes a problem but to bring it to a practical level people with this challenge often use nuclear weapons in relationships when um, well when something uh, a lot less intense like I'm feeling a bit frustrated right now I think I need to take a break from this conversation until I can center myself and come back and stay connected to you and contribute to this uh, discussion in a meaningful way So to evolve yourself mentally, if you have this intensity issue going on, then any form of relaxation practice will be helpful from uh, guided meditations to uh, relaxation techniques where you uh, start from your toes and tighten muscles for a few seconds and relax and then go to your ankles and then to your knees or your calves and then to your thighs and then to your butt and pelvic muscles then to your abdominals then your back and lats then your neck extensors and neck flexors then to your facial muscles and your scalp and then you'll find with this progressive relaxation type activity that you get brought down into a lower state of relaxation and sometimes we need to use tension to relax. So there's an example of what I've just shared with you. But any of these zone exercises in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, are very, very effective practices. That's why they're called work in exercises. And I have spoken about that. I think we did that in part one with the breathing squat, but also just learning to be a witness to yourself so people that have high intensity often have anger issues and uh, again you will see them acting out their parental programming unconsciously and you can't grow yourself or evolve yourself mentally from a state of unconsciousness because by definition you're unaware you're unconscious of where you can grow you can't work with something that's invisible, essentially. Our next one on the list is perfectionism. Perfectionism is a death sentence because the challenge with a perfectionist is that they're always dependent upon other people's approval in order to validate their efforts to have the perfect look, the perfect hairstyle, the perfect home, the perfect children. and unfortunately there's a fair bit of this type of stuff that comes out of religion and and uh, my exposure is most to christianity because i have worked with more uh, christians having health and life challenges than other religions i've certainly worked with muslims and buddhists and Taoists and uh, non-sectarian non-religious people but one of the challenges with the more uh, puritanical or fundamental forms of christianity is that there's a lot of heavy grading and pressure on children to look and act a certain way and to not do things that would be an embarrassment to the family and and each of these people often comes from parents one or two parents both one or both parents displaying this attempts at perfectionism which is really uh Something that's unhealthy because if you look at it from a practical perspective, something that's perfect doesn't move. How do you improve on something that's perfect? If it's if it's improvable, it's by definition not perfect. So this sets up an illusion. But the person who has this perfectionism type issue is also very fragile inside because if anybody does not... Um, Acknowledge them, then they feel diminished, and it leads to a very, very uh, challenging relationship with one's inner self because perfectionism is a a sort of, I'll call it a disease that requires external validation, or you don't know when to stop. And unfortunately, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's almost impossible to get a consensus of opinion on how you look or the car you drive or the place you live or your physical beauty from anybody. Um, many times I've been with a group of men and a woman walked by and somebody said, oh my God, she is perfect. I would eat her up and marry her in a second. And some guy says, oh, her butt's too small for me or... Her boobs are too small or I don't like her lips or I don't like brown skin or white skin or whatever. So there you go. You see, even in a small group of men, you can't get a consensus of opinion on a woman and I'm sure women are the same. So another tip for the perfectionist to help you grow uh, mentally is remember the very simple dictum, don't sweat the small stuff. and. The small stuff is the stuff that ultimately won't matter at the end of the day. Uh, honestly, if you have one button undone, or uh, you know a little bit of your bra is showing, and someone recognizes that, even if you got a booger hanging out of your nose, and you figure that out at the end of the day, and you go, "Oh my god, that's probably been there for hours," and I was in a meeting and no one said anything. Ah, well, it, what? So what? I mean like it doesn't happen to other people. It's probably happened to all of us at some point. So you see, you know, if you really want to evolve yourself mentally, then be brave enough to find the humor and laugh about it. Because let me tell you, God's got the wickedest sense of humor of all. Look around. So, now these are things that I could, you know, each give a podcast on, each and sometimes multiple podcasts on each of these four causes of addiction. So I'm just giving you some highlights so it doesn't just get too over the top for you to process. Next is focusing on what's wrong. That's an addiction and it has to do with what's called the negative bias. As I said before, I think nobody ever died from a birthday cake or uh, having a nice time on the dance floor or enjoying the sunset, but our brain is wired to pay attention to potential threats. And so what happens is, if we're not conscious of the fact that we have a tendency to focus on wrong when it is not essential to do so, such as a survival threat, for example, when I was a paratrooper, we had to check and double-check and triple-check and quadruple-check our equipment. Why? Because if someone's shoots packed wrong or a clip's not done right, well, they, quite frankly, can die for sure. When you're a paratrooper, you're doing low-level jumps. We're sometimes jumping out at 850 feet, which means you have the count of 1,001 to correct a malfunction before your feet pass through your backside and go out the top of your head. And it does happen, in and on in, in, in all my jumps, which was I think 17 while I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, the minimum injury was a broken leg. Many people lacerated their liver and things like that, and even I got badly hurt one time. Fortunately, I rehabbed myself and I'm okay now, but it was scary as hell to see myself falling at a rate about four times as fast as everybody around me, which is one of the first ways you know you have a malfunction. But so whenever you're focusing on what's wrong, if you want to evolve mentally, the technique I developed to help people and help myself is ask yourself these questions. Am I safe right now? If the answer is yes, Can I breathe? Do I have the ability to breathe? If the answer is yes, do I have access to food and water? Yes. If if the answer is yes, do I have shelter? If the answer is yes, do I have warmth? Is my body working and is there a place I can stay warm? If the answer is yes, is there love in my life? Can I love myself and are there others that love me? If the answer is yes to those, which it is probably 95 to 98% of the time, then focus on what's right. Well, you just got about five things that are right. You're safe, you can breathe, you got food, you got water, you got shelter, you got warmth, and you got love. So having those things is really amazing. When you consider there's about 2 billion people in the world that don't have access to clean water or food, or a closet to put their clothes in or their own pillow. So there's a lot to focus on that's going really well, um, no matter who's president. And for those of you that like Donald Trump, forgive me, um, he's part of me too. And so everything I don't like about him, there's things that I don't like about myself that I have to practice these techniques to manage carefully. So, if you have those things covered that I just went through, and you continue to react, then your emotion is likely to be one of fear, which in this case is usually false evidence appearing real, or you're in the habit of looking for what's wrong instead of looking what's right, which will seriously retard your mental and emotional evolution. And whenever you have this type of reaction, it can be transformed into higher awareness by stating what your dream is and thinking and acting in ways that are affirmative for your dream, not your nightmare or not creating nightmares. The fourth and final primary cause of addiction is the need to know constantly needing to know someone who can never stop studying never stop gathering information and this can be very paralyzing for people in fact it's one of the things that stops people from achieving their dreams or developing products or projects because they can't stop the accumulation phase they can't find the place when enough is enough. In in video production or, or film production, it's called overproduction, and it is expensive and isn't effective. So um, your mental evolution happens when knowing more becomes a distraction from being practical and productive. And there is a reason the... the title PhD is often referred to as piled higher and deeper Uh, and the evidence of that is that we have more MDs and PhDs and master's degrees and bachelor's degrees and associate's degrees per capita than ever in the history of man but we're the sickest most dysfunctional people we've ever been on the planet and so Maybe if we focused on the fact that we need to eat real food, drink clean water, not poison ourselves, not poison the environment, and things like that, we, we don't really need PhDs for that. We just need to pay attention to what is actually uh, important for living well and growing ourselves. And it doesn't matter how smart you sound in a coffee shop if you can't eat, sleep, breathe, and do it. I tell all my students, I don't care how fancy your talk is, when you're in my classroom, it only takes me about the count of three to look at you, listen to you, watch you walk, and pick up your vibration to know how much hot air you're blowing at me, which usually means that you're caught in one of these forms of addiction but are unconscious of it. So... When is needing to know more a distraction from being practical and productive? Your mental evolution takes steps forward as soon as you identify that tipping point and act accordingly. So now we'll take a look at the six stages, but I'll be brief just because we've been going for a while here and I've already given you enough that if any of you was to practice even two or three of these consistently, you would evolve at a a pace so rapid people around you could not possibly miss it. So number one is one love. What do you love enough to grow for? Um, If you can't figure out what your dream is and you can't even figure out what your goal or objective is to focus your awareness and your attention, then ask yourself, what is my nightmare And that becomes the point of your focus and your willingness to better manage your mind and your emotions. And for most people that I've worked with, the number one nightmare that I see is money management challenges. So remember, money is energy. People that have a hard time managing money generally have a hard time managing energy. And oftentimes people that were raised in intensity Environments um, use money to uh, medicate their intensity, whether it be buying high speed motorcycles, cars, or uh, juggling knives, or uh, you know uh, any number of ways that they go about trying to uh, sidetrack, distract, or numb themselves. So. The key point here is, if you don't know what a clear goal, dream, or objective is, then look for what is the most challenging thing happening in your life that, if effectively addressed, would free up the greatest amount of energy that you can use to grow your conscious awareness and become more whole and more loving, empathetic, and compassionate for yourself and to yourself, which then radiates out of you into your relationships number two two forces the male and the female where are you out of balance remembering the dictum as above so below wherever you're out of balance with regard to nutrition hydration sleep breathing thinking and movement i can assure you you're either lacking information or your life is mirroring your thought processes and remember uh 93 percent of what's happening inside of you is unconscious so wherever the pain teacher showing up for you with regard to your health your personal well-being your mental emotional self-management or your relationships you are able to acknowledge the dictum as above so below and say there's some kind of belief or um idea that I'm acting out consciously or unconsciously that's keeping me in a state of imbalance. That's when the pain teacher shows up to guide you. So mental evolution comes from identifying where you're out of balance, recognizing the beliefs that are behind it, many of which are unconscious, so they can be brought into the conscious so you can work with them by paying close attention to what's repeating itself. Chronic constipation, chronic back pain, chronic neck pain, digestive trouble, chronic skin trouble, chronic weight challenges, too much or too little body mass, etc. Now, there's three key components of psychological development that we can pay attention to. One is individuation, becoming whole as an individual who takes responsibility for the choices they make and doesn't depend on mommy and daddy and others to bail them out of problems or give them money when they are managing themselves like a child. And other words, rescue them. So to be individuated means to become an adult. So to grow yourselves Mentally, we have to identify where am I not taking responsibility for my own happiness, loving myself, making ends meet and managing myself or being an effective partner in relationship. Next is competency. Where do I need more skills in order to individuate or manage myself in factor three, which is relationship? So your three... Essentials for psychological health and and competent or or, or uh, well being is individuation, competency, and in relationships because we can't grow without other people. Uh, be- because of the fact, for one, that we're we have a shadow and and so much of us are unconscious, other people see what we don't see in ourselves, and we see in them what they don't see. So, whenever you're having a hard time with Becoming an honest, well managed individual, or you're challenged in relationships, it lends itself to the need for competency. And that means finding resources, which is one of our five program design essentials. And those can be audiobooks, books, online courses, for which I have many through the Czech Institute, including my PPS Success Mastery Program, which is personal, professional, spiritual success mastery program, where I developed 12 lessons based on the 12 things that I saw most commonly stopping people from getting healthy or achieving their uh, potential in career or in athletics. And so we can look at the challenges in relationships and simply say, where do I need more skills? For a lot of us, it's communication skills and if you really want to up your game and grow yourself and evolve yourself mentally and emotionally, then I recommend the book called Nonviolent Communication, The Basics As I Know and Use Them by Wayland Myers, Ph.D. And his Ph.D. is actually quite good. Uh, this is a very small powerful, powerful book. In fact, if you master what's in this little book of about 60 pages that fits right in your pocket, you will evolve more in one lifetime than most people do in 50 lifetimes. Next, we have to realize that as individuals, we all have what are called complexes in Jungian psychology, which are a network of neurally charged associations, a network of neurons that are emotionally charged, and act as a form of artificial intelligence and stop us from seeing things as they really are. And so if you were raised with parents that were perfectionists, intense people, uh, constantly pressured you to get better grades, better grades, and you find that as long as you studied more and studied more and studied more, people loved you, mom and dad loved you, parents loved you, and you got accolades... Uh, or you tend to focus on what's wrong, you're probably dealing with complexes that you've developed, especially in childhood. And so complexes basically are become clusters of neural networks that actually take on artificial intelligence and start acting out unconsciously. And, uh, you know, I could give you many, many examples, but uh, outbursts, and behaviors that you go I can't believe I did that again or not liking people and you don't even know why those are all examples of complexes at work and the other thing that happens is complexes are part of a problem that we all have but it's all it's part of life called projections so whatever biases we have or things within ourselves that we're not conscious of, yet we project onto other people. Uh, An example of projection is someone who's a closet gay but shows up at anti-gay rallies or someone who's had an abortion but tells everybody how terrible abortion is and keeps it a secret that they've had an abortion. So there's an example of projection. But generally, we are unconscious of our projections. Another common example of projection is falling in love with somebody and not seeing who they really are and thinking they're the perfect person for you without really spending enough time to get to know them, which usually is about two years at minimum, and then all of a sudden waking one day and going, who the hell is this person why are they such an ass and and how in the world did I end up married to this person? And so what happens is your projections of Mr. Writer Mrs. Perfect break down and then you are dealing with the reality of what you couldn't see because you were unconscious and usually acting out mommy complexes, daddy complexes, or mommy-daddy archetypes. Uh, that you're unconscious of, and not realizing that you, like all of us, are attracting your unfinished business as a human being. And our unfinished business, as Jung makes very clear, is always our parents' unfinished business or our family's unfinished business. So when we evolve ourselves mentally and emotionally, we actually help the whole family evolve. Now a couple of approaches I'll share with you from spiritual training is these two different approaches. One's called the positiva, one's called the negativa. We can grow ourselves by expanding our consciousness until enough connections emerge that all of a sudden we have a bigger view of the situation at hand. So why did I get a divorce? Or we're not getting along well, I don't want to get a divorce, so I need more competency, I might Hire a skilled counselor. This is a lot of the kind of work I do, a fair bit of relationship coaching because a lot of people's diseases track right back to their relationship problems, so does their lack of athletic performance. And so once you start getting educated, then all of a sudden you have more awareness and more options, which means you have more freedom and free will because the more connections you make, the more possibilities you are aware of then the more uh, choices you can make and therefore the more free will you have. And Deepak Chopra talks about this in uh, his book on spiritual development. I don't remember the title off the top of my head, Uh, but if you go on Gaia TV, there's a nice interview with him where he goes over his book, but he talks about making our windows bigger and bigger. So we have more options, which means more freedom. The negativa path in metaphysics means thinking less and going deeper into yourself. And because the whole universe is inside you, the answers to all your questions are also inside of you because what you think of is out there is in here. Because if you look at the current science and look at the books that I've recommended on how the mind works and things like One Mind and the research of of uh, many people from Ken Wilber to... Uh, uh, Daniel Brown to uh you know many Carl Jung, Rudolf Steiner um, basically you'll find that um the deeper you go within yourself the more you have access to everything that seems to be outside of yourself so the negative the the, the the negativa approach is, is to go into a meditative state hold an intention and calm the mind and then by allowing your ego mind to relax and practice letting your thinking muscle relax and your judgment and your analysis behavior uh you know typical of the um you know uh, if you look at your astrology uh personality types of Virgo is very very analytical for someone like a Virgo it's very hard to stop being so analytical but that's part of the growth because like I said overthinking things is not good and over analyzing things isn't good because it's not practical but once you get your mind calm and you hold an intention such as whatever you believe the highest sources, for me it would be great spirit, say great spirit, please show me where I can be more loving in my relationship to my partner. And then you just relax. And as you relax, the windows open, and you have access to the unconscious information, and all of a sudden, you might have visions or memories of yourself being spanked a lot, or beaten up by your dad, or criticized by your mother all the time, and then you recognize right there that the little boy or the little girl in you is still afraid and still in pain and needs love, and then you can become your own parent and connect your consciousness to that part of yourself, and you can literally speak to that part of yourself and go into dialogue with it, And uh, this is a process that is uh, called soul loss in Native American Indian philosophy. And so I practice soul recovery with people and with myself because our inner consciousness, which is the domain of the soul, can get fragmented and we can lose parts of ourselves. And then we project onto other people to see the broken parts of ourselves in them and judge them but not realizing that we're really seeing ourselves overlaid on top of them like someone's drawn squares on our glasses and we can't figure out why we see squares everywhere and once we relax and hold an an intention and open ourselves with the honest intention to grow ourselves and evolve ourselves mentally then our intuition kicks in. And remember, intuition is the function that brings us into contact with the other parts that create wholeness that the ego mind cannot access. So when it comes to the three choices, uh, I developed a technique that I teach my holistic lifestyle coaching students and my Check Four Quadrant Coaching Mastery students, and it's called the Mind Flip so we use a coin, you actually hold a coin. And so let's say your partner criticizes you or someone criticizes you at work and your your urge is to bite back. Well, first take a deep breath and calm yourself and then ask yourself, first of all, hear what you're saying in your head, like that person's a complete asshole, I can't believe they said that. Now, if you say that out loud, you might lose your job or you might go deeper into battle with your partner and end up uh, missing sex for a couple of weeks while everyone cools down or something like that. But once you have the negative thought, I can't believe that asshole said that to me, then say, what is my dream? Well, my dream is to uh, have harmonious relationships at work and get promoted. Let's say it's a work situation then you can flip the coin over so that would be the tail side the negative that you just done so you state the negative you state your dream so you have a reference point then you flip the coin over and say well if that person's an asshole exists the positive must also exist and the positive might be maybe there's something else going on and they're just short fused right now and I don't know what it is or maybe they too have a broken child and they need uh, some coaching or counseling or support or any number of possible turnovers um, or flipping the coin, the mind flip. Then you choose the one that if you energize that with your consciousness and your emotion, then it will, if, if acted out, it will uh, create more wholeness and more connection and move you into the direction of being congruent with your dream. So instead of biting back and saying, well, I can't believe you just said that, you're such an asshole, you could say, "Ah, are you having a tough day today? I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little surprised that uh, you said that to me, or how you said it to me, or that you're behaving in a way that is quite challenging to relate to you right now. Is there something going on in your life that's winding you up? And then all of a sudden they say, oh, you know, they might, you know, if it was a woman, she might start crying. If it was a man, he might get stoic. But some of them would say, well, yeah, now that you mentioned it, um, I just found out my mother's dying last night. And I I think I'm just, I didn't sleep last night and I'm a bit scared and I'm sorry. Maybe it's um, what's causing me to be short fused today. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, there's a real human need for connection there. Now, if you flip the coin and you cannot find something that you can honestly buy into, you're just not connected with it, then turn the coin on its side, which represents potential, and you say, well, so-and-so has the potential to be a better manager or a better human being, and I'm going to work with them to see the best in them and do my best to emulate to them what that looks like. Now you're growing emotionally and mentally. Another technique that I use, uh, I practice art therapy and have been for many, many years. It's something that I really love. Is an exercise I call turning shit into flowers. So when you're caught up emotionally or you're really, really stressed and you can't figure out how to deal with it, then what you can do is draw it. Get out some pens or pencils or paints and be completely unedited and just let it come out however it is and by no means judge it. It's not about what it looks like. It's about the process. And so it might look like just a pile of gobbledygook on the page, which is completely fine, but then just let it sit for a couple of days, stick it where you can see it, and ask your soul or your heart to guide you to how to convert it, into something beautiful thus i call it turning shit into flowers and then when you're ready and you feel that sense of connection then be a big boy or a big girl and sit down with your colors again and see what you can do with color shape and creativity to make that more beautiful and i've been amazed at some of the times that I've done that usually which have come after painful arguments or discussions with family members that I was able to actually train myself using art therapy to then be able to do it on the fly in other words do the painting in my heart and in my mind while this is going down so I say okay I'm getting wound up right now I can either take a time out or i can get out my love pen or my communication pen or my connection pen and i can put some flowers on this thing because you know as a metaphor flowers grow well in shit uh they fertilize the soil and it makes them the poop fertilizes the soil it makes them grow so there's a very simple, for those of you that like to play with color and, and, and paper or, or pens, and I mean, or paint and canvas, that works very good, and you don't need to do anything fancy. I mean, if you all you have is a pencil and a piece of paper, then just follow the process and train yourself to convert a negative into a positive, but don't rush. You You don't want to do it inauthentically. If it takes two days or three days to find the beauty then take the time you know you you can't rush evolution uh, not honest evolution so now we're at our four four doctor core values remember your yes has no value until you learn to say no i went over this in part one and i went through some of it in part two with emotional evolution and talked about biochemistry diet and lifestyle choices and how that affects emotions but i'd like to read a quote to you from Itzhak bentov one of my favorite teachers who also is dead but i'm but i regularly connect him and he lives inside of my heart he says if we were to ask the brain how it would like to be treated whether shaken at random excuse me whether shaken at a random irregular rate or in a rhythmic harmonious fashion we can be sure that the brain or for that matter the whole body would prefer the latter so Remember your four doctor values, Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, Dr. Movement, and Dr. Happiness. Dr. Happiness means what am I willing to do to create happiness for myself, which includes eating well, moving well, breathing well, thinking in ways that are dream affirmative, resting well, Uh, you know, the six foundation principles, nutrition, hydration, hydrating well, sleep, breathing, thinking, and moving, then you realize that those are your values that if you use those values to know when to say yes and when to say no, you will create harmony and you will do things like getting to bed on time and getting up in the morning or exercising when you should be instead of making excuses and Knowing those four doctor values are really what stabilizes the body, the emotions, and the mind, and gives you a solid platform from which constructive thinking can be done, positive thinking can be done, and high levels of creativity can emerge. Because when a person's out of balance and their stress levels are up, their cortisol levels are up, and that shifts you into left brain dominance, and as I often say, you It's not a good idea to throw in a cartwheel when you're running from a lion or you're likely to get eaten. So if we don't take care of ourselves at the basic four-doctor level, then we usually have too much stress and too high levels of stress hormones in our body to be creative. And really, evolution of any type is a creative process. You have to grow beyond what mom and dad did or do. You have to grow beyond what the average person in society is doing. And remember, as Carl Jung says, the average man or woman can never be successful. So to evolve means to recognize what average is in your life and step out of it and move forward in ways that are dream-affirmative. Then, to continue our mental evolution, we go to step five Our five program design factors, because here we're designing our own program for mental evolution, and establish a time that you will work on these things every day, preferably at the end of the day, so you can look back on your day or at the beginning of the day to state what your dream is and state in positive affirmation, especially if you have an addiction. Today, if somebody offers me candy or sweet stuff or gluten-containing stuff, I will say no and I will use that as a trigger to reach for a carrot or an apple or something that is dream affirmative. Look carefully at where you're spending energy that is not dream affirmative and consciously state to yourself, I choose to invest my energy in and then you will have a core value for that issue or you can create a core value as needed. Where is your willingness? Calibrate your willingness meter. Sometimes people try to do so much to grow that they actually disable themselves or you get people that are forever studying and searching for information and they don't have enough energy or willingness to practice. So they become a talking head. And then uh, we have finances. Finances. In order to grow ourselves mentally, it requires that we invest our finances intelligently so we are not producing so much stress for ourselves that we can't relax and enjoy life and and be present and watch the grass grow. Osho says if you simply watch the grass grow and become fully present, you can become enlightened doing just that. Then what resources do we need to enhance that competency factor that I spoke about earlier and it may be that you need a coach. It may need that be that you need a therapist. It could be that you need a shaman. It could be that you need a skilled physician, a real one, that you might need to use your intuition to find one that's outside of the box enough to not just give you drugs and do the standard silliness. But that's what using your intuition and your heart and soul uh, to guide you is four. Next, we have nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and movement. We've talked enough about the nutrition, hydration, sleep, but remember, breathing always mirrors your thinking. So if you find yourself in a state of what I call stinking thinking, and remember, the average person thinks 68,000 thoughts a day, of which 90% were found to be negative by researchers. So if we're noticing our thinking is going south, we can immediately, if we can't control our mind effectively, we can go to our breathing. And so usually when there's stinking thinking, the breathing is getting shallow and tight, and our abdominal wall's tightening up, because almost always we're defending ourselves against an attack, either on us, by us, or by somebody else. And if we just focus on breathing through our nose, taking a nice deep breath in, and either holding it for four seconds and releasing it for eight, or consciously slowing the out-breath and just anchoring ourselves in the breathing and visualize as you're inhaling, you're growing like a tree to the sun, and as you're exhaling, you're sinking roots down into the earth and and getting the support of Mother Earth. Then you'll recreate an inner state that's more conducive to Effective thinking and dream affirmative thinking, and you will immediately begin evolving as you do that. And then we can use movement in ways that harmonize our body by harmonizing breathing and movement so that each movement that we do is coupled with a breath. So if you're on a rowing machine, as you pull, inhale, and as you move forward to uh, get the next pull, then you exhale. With a breathing squat, we exhale as we lower and we inhale as we stand. So those are examples of things that you can do that harmonize your biological oscillators, integrate your life right and left brain hemisphere, and bring you into a state of openness. And then we can use mindfulness and some of the key sort of principles of mindfulness is where is your intention what is your attitude and what are you putting your attention on so if you've been with me so far your attention needs to be on your values so that you're making decisions that are life affirmative and dream affirmative there's an old saying attitude determines altitude if we catch ourselves kind of being the party pooper or the sad sack or the skunk then we can take a step outside go for a walk do some breathing squats do some um turning shit into flowers in our head get a coin out of our pocket and put our attention on what behaviors thoughts and feelings are dream affirmative and be a big boy or a big girl and there's your individuation and bring those qualities out of ourselves and then go back in the house or the party and then enter back into relationship and then you're practicing competency and that means you are growing your psychological self to be more whole more comprehensive so wow we've covered quite a lot so thanks for joining me Um, i hope you've enjoyed all this i hope You didn't try to listen to it all at once, and if you enjoyed it and did that, that's perfect too. In part four, we will explore ways to evolve spiritually, and that's really my favorite topic. So I'll have to be careful not to write a huge outline, but to keep it as practical as I can. I hope you found today practical, this podcast. And then in part five, we'll explore how to evolve your career, which is something I have a lot of experience and knowledge with. So as always, I will share as much of me as I can with you because we are each other. And that is just scientific fact today. And so thank you for joining me on Living 4D with Paul Check. I look forward to sharing more with you in part four.
1: Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the third Evolve session of Living 4D with Paul Check. If you'd like to ask Paul about how you can implement the tips and techniques you learned here, join him on Instagram Live on Saturday, April 13th at 12 p.m. Pacific time. You can follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check to get notifications when he goes live. For more information on Evolve with the Czech Institute, visit checkinstitutecom forward slash Evolve 2019. You'll learn all about a powerful one-day event on May 3rd that will empower you to fuel your own personal and professional evolution. To listen to more episodes of Living 4D with Paul Check, go to checkinstitutecom forward slash podcast.